From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. Today was supposed to be D-Day for the national debt ceiling, but a last-minute compromise may stave off default. Colorado's congressional delegation remains divided. We'll find out where things stand. Then, it's a history-making moment for the Denver Nuggets. Their first-ever NBA championship game is tonight. We talk with former player and coach Bill Hanslick about this amazing season. The Nuggets, wow, when they're clicking, they're hard to stop. They just have too many weapons that if you try to take away one, it's going to go to somebody else. They emphasize the word team to the max. Plus, a lifelong Nuggets fan on never giving up on the team. Sport is evolution. Teams go through evolutions in their time. This is the Nuggets time. And just how do you pronounce the MVP's name? My gift to CPR was matched by my employer. We support CPR with a business reporting grant. I'm a network partner and a member of the Legacy Circle. I support Colorado Public Radio by giving stock. Our foundation proudly supports CPR's efforts. We will distribute residual assets tax-free to CPR. My husband and I are Colorado Public Radio leadership partners. Explore all ways to give and make your gift on the support page at CPR.org. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. When it comes to a deal to raise the nation's debt ceiling, Colorado's congressional delegation is all over the map. Here to put it all in perspective for us is our Washington, D.C. reporter, Caitlin Kim. Hi, Caitlin. Hi, Chandra. So the House voted 314 to 117 last night to move the deal forward. Whose votes were you watching out for in Colorado's delegation? So I was really looking to see how Democrat Diana DeGette and Republican Doug Lamborn were going to vote because earlier in the day they were still deliberating and both have really safe seats. So they're a bit more immune to pressure. Mm. In the end, DeGette voted for the bill, um, but she, like many other House Democrats, waited until at least half the Republican caucus had voted yes before they did too. And I was watching Lamborn in particular because the Colorado GOP, via Chair Dave Williams, sent out a letter Tuesday basically calling on him to oppose the deal to lift the debt ceiling like House Freedom Caucus member members and fellow Coloradans Ken Buck and Lauren Boebert had said they would do. And actually, he uh, Williams urged his people to call Lamborn's office with that message. And just as a reminder, Williams actually primaried Lamborn last year for the seat. <laughs> so a bit of political drama there. <laughs> what did Lamborn end up doing? Well, in the end, Lamborn voted with the vast majority of Republicans to avert default. In a statement, he said, yes, the deal could have gone further, done more, but, quote, what it achieves is real, lasting, and unprecedented. He's referring to the cuts it makes to non-defense spending and holding down overall spending for the next two years. As for the rest of the delegation, the Democrats all voted yes, while Republicans Ken Buck and Lauren Boebert were loud opponents of the bill. Tell me more about that. Did Buck and Boebert end up voting no? Let's start with why they opposed the bill. You know, the vast majority of hard-right lawmakers in the House Freedom Caucus all came out against the agreement pretty quickly because it didn't have a lot of their priorities. You know, larger cuts, repealing some signature Biden initiatives, or passing the Republican Energy Bill or Border Security Bill, both of which aren't really budget-related. Um, and Boebert was part of that faction. You know, she spoke at a Freedom Caucus press conference Tuesday, you know, trying to convince fellow Republicans to vote no and was very active on social media about why the deal should be rejected. 
But in the end, she didn't actually vote against the bill. What? What happened there? Yeah, so Bobert ended up missing the vote. I was in the chamber watching how the delegation was voting, and she was the last one who hadn't, which, you know, surprised me, given how opposed she was to the bill. An Axios reporter who was outside the chamber said she saw Bobert running up the steps when they closed the voting. So maybe she just cut it too close, but I will say the timing of these votes is never a surprise. Leadership keeps members apprised of any shifts to the window, and this vote started around 9 p.m. Eastern and Mm. ended about 20 minutes later. Bobert did submit a comment to the clerk after saying she was unavoidably detained, but had she been present, she would have voted no. Still, officially, she's listed as not voting on the roll. (laughs) And to wrap up our vote counting, what happened with Ken Buck? Did he vote no? He was a no vote, as he has been on every past debt ceiling bill, too. (laughs) Have you talked to him about his position? Is there anything that could get him to a yes on a debt ceiling increase? I mean, every expert says a default would immediately have devastating effects for the U.S. and the global economy. Well, frankly, I don't expect his opposition to raising the raising the borrowing limit to change. You know, he's the one representative in the delegation when it comes to money who I always count on to vote no. And look, passing this deal was always going to come from the center of both caucuses, not the extreme wings, because that's what governing in a divided Congress looks like. Mm. Now, that said... Buck hinted he could vote to lift the debt ceiling if, if it had major spending cuts. You know, with a deficit of more than $31 trillion, Buck wants to see the U.S. reach a grand long-term fiscal bargain before borrowing more money. And I actually talked to him before the vote, and he described a conversation he had about that with a member of the Progressive Caucus, you know, about what that would take. She says, well, you know, we've got to put taxes on the table. And I said, well, we've got to put mandatory spending on the table. And at some point, we'll come together and, and agree that all these things have to be on the table in order to get the country where uh, it's, it's fiscally sound. And look, concern about the debt isn't just coming from Republican quarters. Here's what Democratic Congressman Jason Crow told me yesterday. I have a lot of concerns about our national debt, our deficit, and we have to come together in a bipartisan way to figure out how we reduce our deficits and how we start reducing our national debt. But blowing up the House and defaulting on our debt and using that as a political pawn is the wrong way to do it. So um, in the end, though, Crow wasn't going to risk default, which he said would cost U.S. taxpayers more money and tank the economy. Speaking of Democrats, what about the first the state's two first-term members, Brittany Peterson and Yadira Caraveo, where were they in this whole debate? Well, Peterson and Caraveo both voted for the bill, even though there were aspects of it they didn't like. But they accepted that um, is part of, again, operating in a divided government. Caraveo, in particular, was concerned about the added work requirements for SNAP and TANF. You know, she feels strongly about the importance of food assistance. But when it comes to this bill, she did seem resigned. And at the end of the day, I think if um, if both sides of a negotiating party are a little unhappy, then that means that um, a good deal or as good of a deal as can be reached has been struck. So the debt ceiling deal, as you've been talking about, is now through the House. And to recap, all Democrats voted for it. On the Republican side, it was mixed. Republican Doug Lamborn voted yes. Ken Buck voted no. And Lauren Boebert opposed the bill but missed the vote. Now the drama moves to the U.S. Senate. Any suspense about how Colorado senators will vote? 
You know, I don't think there will be any any suspense about how Senators Michael Bennett or John Hickenlooper vote. Both have said default is not an option. Um, I will point out that since 2017, Bennett has sponsored a bill to do away with the debt limit, so we're not constantly going through this political theater and flirting with the threat of default. But um, the big question in the Senate is a process one. How quickly can the chamber move the bill? All it takes is one senator to hold up the process. And again, the deadline for default is Monday. So Senate leaders are trying to work out a deal on time with the senators opposed to the bill. So whether that can be done by this evening or Friday or sometime this weekend still remains to be seen. But the bottom line, they all expect the bill will pass the Senate and get to the president's desk before the big June 5th deadline. (laughs) Wow. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you, Chandra. That was CPR's Washington, D.C. reporter, Caitlin Kim. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I remember my first gift to public radio. After making that first gift, listening felt better. I knew that I was in some way making it possible. I don't remember specifically what they said. I just I just remember them using the words member supported. And I didn't know that public radio was funded by members. If you want to support pay it forward and and provide this service to others, I invite you to make your first gift. It's really easy to do at CPR.org. You're back with Colorado Matters with CPR News. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. This was the moment that sent basketball fans in Denver and across the state into a frenzy. Reeves holding. James comes out of the pack. James on the drive. Goes inside. Stop. Shot locked. Gets it back. It's over. Denver makes history. The Nuggets are going to the NBA Finals for the first time in franchise history. Today, many of those fans have yet to come down back to earth as Denver, before now an NBA also ran, heads into its first championship game ever tonight against the Miami Heat. Sport is evolution. Teams go through evolutions in their their time. This is the Nuggets time. That's Nikki Sworn. By day, she's the general manager and interim program director at radio stations Kubo Jazz and The Drop. But come game time, she's all about being a devout Nuggets superfan. She spoke with my colleague, Anthony Cotton. Hey, Nikki, thanks for joining us. Uh, It's so great to be with you today. I'm super excited. Thank you for having me. So 6.30 tonight, do you have any plans? Where are you going to be? Uh, holding on to the edge of the couch and trying not to rip the arms off. Um, I think this game I will be watching uh, with my dad. How would you describe your feelings right now? I actually have anxiety. I mean, is that like, I know we're, we're, we're in a moment of wanting to take care of our mental health, and this is truly an exciting moment for all of the Nuggets fans out there, but I have anxiety. I want, I want my guys to, to, you know, mash the boards and, and really, really get a victory just for giggles, one of my coworkers looked up, you know, one of the StubHub kind of sites, how much it would cost to get a pair of courtside tickets for game one. The answer was just under $50,000. Now, super fan, Nikki, would you pay that to be there? I have two nephews and nine godkids. So I'm thinking about people's future college and tuition and this house. I, I don't know if I would pay 50 grand. However, I am not opposed to pushing in the towels or cleaning the floor 
or doing some other menial service to get myself in the building. It is their season. It's their time. They have a, a court full of humble players that, you know, from the bench on to their starting team. It's just a different presentation. There's, I don't see ego with this team like that, even though they know they have the right to have an ego around it. And part of it is it's fun to be the underdog. And I think that the gelling of this team is something that can be iconicized in so many different places. We see it in business when the little guy takes on the big Goliath. We see it in music when underdog wins the Grammy, all of those things. And I just think that for fans that are, those deep fans, we're going to ride by this team. This is a, a sports state. So many of our teams, I mean, look, the Mammoth is in the playoffs, Avalanche last year, and, and that history of what we've done as a major sports city has been incredible. It's worth the journey every time. But you don't get to play that underdog card in this series because the Nuggets, the top seed from the Western Conference, playing against the eighth-seeded Miami Heat from the Eastern Conference, Everybody says the Nuggets are going to win the series. Are you a little concerned about that? I think that although we're not, quote unquote, we're not an underdog in this way, we're still an underdog. Look at how the press coverage was centered around the Lakers and what happened with LeBron and how LeBron didn't make it to the end and all this instead of the accolade of a team playing well together and actually working hard. Like that whole philosophy is still part of it because we were like, yeah, right. The Nuggets? Never. So you're not concerned about ratings or, you know, turnout, anything like that? I'm worried about the traffic. <laughs> of the people that are going to be down there near near Ball Arena. You know, my office is down near that space. And, and I just want everybody to be really responsible while they're out and about doing and turning up for the city and, and getting excited. Um, I guess I envision hanging you know, the banner in the ball arena saying that we won the NBA finals. Like, I just hope that my energy matches all the other Nugget fans' energy and pushes the team over, you know, the win. It's like the great Care Bear stare of, of the Nuggets. Wow, nice. Care Bears. We're, we're hitting <laughs> all the spots. So, so let's go back a little bit. You know, you mentioned your dad, Terry, played in the Canadian Football League. And you called yourself his little shadow going to oh, all kinds of things. <laughs> 100%. I'm his mini me. Like we look exactly alike. Like I'm the girl version of my father. And um, I take great pride in that. And my brother looks just like me too. So the three of us, there's just myself and my younger sibling. And we look like our father. And my mom was like, I did all the work. I carried the babies and neither one of them looked like me what happened. But I am still to this day, um, his shadow, like the things that I learn about business, about how to be a really great human being are because I had a great family unit. My, my mother and father were everything. My mom passed away eight years ago, but my dad has been in my corner and was my champion and remains my champion. So it's good stuff. And so he took you around to all the games, you know, the old Denver Rockets and the ABA, yes. Colorado Rockies and in, in baseball and such. But I understand it also caused a little bit of a dilemma for him because while he had a mini me, he wanted you to do something a bit more feminine. Like he wanted yes. his little princess to become what? A ballerina. 
<laughs> he wanted, you know, he was always in for whatever it is that I wanted to do, but he was highly concerned about broken limbs and violence of football. And I was addicted because whatever my dad was doing, I wanted to do too. And I, I say that even holds true to this point because I got my master's because he had one. I was like, oh, if he has a master's, I want a master's, you know, right. let me, let me figure this out. And so um, there's this really cool kind of being the first or, or being somebody who, who exists in that space. But, you know, my dad always included me in, in all of the things that I was curious about, like learning to understand how the game of football was played, understanding more about basketball. Um, when I was playing at Thomas Jefferson High School, my last game of the season, we were headed to the playoffs and I had uh, been practicing with him all year long and really got great at shooting three pointers and the last shot of the game, which would have won the game. I shot a three and I made it. I even checked my feet to make sure I made it. And the ref called and said two points and I lost my mind. I started crying and I ran in the stands and the very first person I wanted to console me was my dad. And he, there he was in the stands. He was like, you know that you gave your victory. You know that you worked hard for this. You did your very best. And yes, that was a three. That was just a really bad call. But sometimes those bad calls happen in life. Clearly, you've been a fan for a, a number of years. You know, we've talked and, and you've mentioned players that I had forgotten had even played with the Nuggets. But I think your favorite player was perhaps Alex English. Is, the, is that right? Yeah, I was obsessed, like completely obsessed with him. He was like, like he was an incredible, incredible nugget player, incredible NBA athlete across the board, rebounds, points, all of the things, but yet and still could go back and write the most amazing poetry ever and would give back and pour into community in ways that were so beautiful to me. I was obsessed. I go back now and I look at all of the jerseys that I've collected along the years in prized possessions. I mean, I have a LaFondo Ellis jersey. I have an Alex English jersey. I've got a Mellow jersey. You know, I've got an AI jersey. I've got this plethora of these jerseys, but there was just something special about how he lived through that NBA experience and then claimed what life after sport looked like. And um, watching this, I, I would I would, be, I would love to be a fly on the wall to hear what Alex English, Mr. English, would say at this particular moment with this history of the Nuggets. Like, what would he be saying? How would he be feeling after all the work and, and how close this victory could be for us? So it is now time to make a prediction for the series. Oh, it's going to be the Nuggets all day. I don't know if it'll be a sweep, but I think it's going to be a really great series. I think there's a lot of folks out there that think that we're a fluke. I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say we got the Nuggets. The Nuggets are going to win. They, they're taking the series. All right. You heard it here first. Nikki, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a lot of fun. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Nikki Swarn is the general manager and interim program director at radio stations Kubo Jazz and The Drop and a self-described Denver Nuggets superfan. She spoke with senior producer Anthony Cotton about the team's first appearance in the NBA Finals after 47 years in the NBA. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. 
Read with Colorado Matters. We've chosen the new book, Soil, the story of a black mother's garden by Camille T. Dungy of Fort Collins. Gardening is both resistance and resilience, a space for rest and a space for instruction. Gardening is many, many things. We then invite you to join us June 29th at Denver Botanic Gardens to be a part of my interview with the author. Details and free tickets at CPR.org slash turn the page. It's Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. As the Denver Nuggets make team history tonight through the peaks and valleys, Bill Hanslick has seen it all. Hanslick played 10 seasons in the league, eight of them with the Nuggets. He was known as a defensive stalwart. He retired as a player in 1991, then turned to coaching, including one season as the head coach of the Nuggets. Now he's a color analyst on Colorado-based Altitude TV for pregame and postgame shows. He's also the CEO of the Gold Crown Foundation. He spoke with CPR's Tony Gorman. So, Bill, did you ever think that you would see the Nuggets in the NBA Finals in your lifetime? Well, maybe if you said lifetime, yes, but uh, would I see them? Oh, boy, there's all sorts of thoughts that go through your head. But obviously this year's team, if you date way back, getting Murray and Porter healthy, they had the talent to make it to the finals. But that doesn't mean you're going to get there. There's so many intangibles, the injuries, just different things that come up, and they've been a true team. And I think the two teams in the finals, Miami and Denver, they emphasize the word team to the max. You talked about like the talent to get to the finals and you follow this team for a very long time. What is the difference in this team compared to past teams in terms of getting to this point? Well, the first thing you look at, they have the MVP. The Nuggets have never had an MVP prior to Nikola Jokic winning it two times, two years in a row should have been the third year this year. Nothing against the other talent, but there's a reason why Joker's in the finals. He is the MVP again, in my opinion. Probably the best passing big man of all time? For sure. He is the best passing big man of all time. No doubt in my mind. There's, there's just zero. He is lethal with the ball. That's why putting it in his hands literally every time down the court is not a bad thing. Outside of like Denver's big three with Jokic, Aaron Gordon, Jamal Murray, is there a guy on the team that you think is a key contributor but is not talked about enough? Hmm. Well, I mean, each guy has a role. I, you know, MPJ is an incredible three-point shooter. Uh, his length, his ability to rebound is, is big. And Cabo Pope, another great trade the Nuggets made in the offseason. He led the league in three-point shooting for most of the season. I think he might have finished third or something, fourth, percentage-wise. So you, you add his great defensive abilities with that outstanding three-point shooting. And the Nuggets, wow, when they're clicking, they're hard to stop. They just have too many weapons. That if you try to take away one, it's going to go to somebody else. It seems like the Nuggets have a lot of depth on their team compared to most teams that were in the playoffs. And it seemed like it really showed against the Lakers during the Western Conference Finals. 
Well, uh, depth, maybe maybe not in total numbers because they boiled it down to basically seven guys, Bruce Brown and, and Jeff Green coming off the bench. But their ability to rotate those guys and be fine. They they can play Jeff Green, Gordon, and, and Porter together. They can play Bruce Brown and, and give Jamal Murray a rest. They can play Bruce Brown and, and Jamal together, give Caldwell Pope. But those seven guys in the playoffs, and maybe even more so in the finals because you got multiple days off in between games. You get enough rest. You can recover. You're not playing back-to-backs or three and four nights, those kind of things where you have to play deeper in your roster. The seven guys that they have running, if they have to get an eight, Christian Brown has, has really shown out in a big way as a rookie. Yeah, they have plenty to, to go with to play anybody in the playoffs, and it's going to be the Heat. Let's go back to the time when you were on the team. The closest you came to the NBA Finals was during the 84-85 season. You guys won the Midwest Division but fell short against the Showtime Lakers in that series in the Western Conference Finals. Take us back to that season, and how did that team work really hard to get to that point? We had a high-potent offensive team. Doug Moe's system of fast break and running. There wasn't a lot of three-point shooting. We could score with anybody in the league. We were not a good defensive team. So we were pretty much one side of the ball. We had the Lakers 1-1 coming to Denver. But unfortunately, Alex English broke his thumb and Dan Issel hurt his knee. And those were two of our best players, if not the top two. And it wasn't Magic Johnson and Kareem getting hurt. It was our two best players. And if you don't have your top guys, you're in trouble. You've been a head coach for one season with the Nuggets and and an NBA assistant for several other seasons prior to that. Could you tell us how hard it is from a coach's perspective to build a team and coach that team? Well, it takes time. It it is really tough and and you you need talent, but you got to give that talent time to gel together. And you go back to this team and, and and things fell your way, acquiring Nicola, getting Jamal Murray. Remember Jamal, end up being part of the Carmelo Anthony trade to the Knicks. It was the draft pick that they got. Uh, he was the seventh player taken. And if you go back, I always say you go back in the draft and you look and you say do overs. Jamal would not have been the seventh pick. I can't remember the other guys, but he'd be up the top one, two, maybe three at worst. And so you get a little lucky, you build teams, you, you're patient, you survive injuries and things and a big trade for Aaron Gordon you get Michael Porter, who slips because of his back problems, ends up going through some injuries there. But you're patient and you wait and you build. And, and now it's all come together in a great way. And that's why the Nuggets are in the finals. Bill Hanslick, thanks for joining us. You got it. Have a great day. Bill Hanslick is a former player and coach for the Denver Nuggets. He's currently a color analyst for Altitude TV. He spoke with our Tony Gorman, and we'll share more of the interview at CPR.org on the Colorado Matters page. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. In the new episode of My Story So Far, Pride on the Western Slope. One of the only spaces where I could explore my queerness openly. Um, I describe it as like a very dusty breakfast club. (laughs) My Story So Far, everywhere you get your podcasts. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. The Nuggets' best player is also, in a lot of people's minds, the best player in the world right now. He's a 28-year-old native of Serbia who's nearly 7 feet tall. 
And Colorado Matters producer Rachel Estabrook found that nearly everyone is mispronouncing his name. I'm not even going to try to say his name until I talk to an expert. But NBA announcers have to do it all the time. Jokic goes inside, lays it up and in. Jokic, a three-pointer. It's good. Nikola Jokic. Pick and roll. Jokic. Nice. Some basketball announcers do just call him the Joker. Because his first and last names can be tricky. So heading into the finals tonight, I wanted to give you a primer especially if you're a bandwagon fan who will find yourself talking about him at home or at work for the first time. Let's start at the beginning. It's Nicola. That's the man himself, asked by a reporter a few years ago. Wait, Nicola. He's heard the mispronunciations, and he says he responds to them anyway. Yeah, because I don't want to, like, try to fix you guys. (laughs) Okay, so emphasis not on any particular syllable. Nicola. What about the last name? That's where I tried to call up an expert, Stephen Kadich. He's the honorary consul in Colorado for the Republic of Serbia. It is probably the lowest level, seriously, the lowest level diplomatic position that you can have. He's been doing this for 21 years. Kadich has been a basketball fan even longer. And he says the big man in Denver is truly special. There is a European style of play that has now become much more integrated into the United States play, where no matter what position you play, you learn to dribble the ball, you learn to pass. And and Jokic has really taken that style of play to a level that I would argue no player in the history of basketball has taken it. So Kadic is a basketball buff, but he's not actually a native Serbian speaker. And he's not even sure he's saying the name right. He says, I should really talk to his friend, Jelena Radvini. She grew up in Serbia. Basketball is huge in Serbia, and it's a cultural thing. So Jelena, can you string this together for us, please? Nikola Jokic. Okay, one more time. Nikola Jokic. Okay, Jokic. That's even a little bit like the the vowel sounds like an A-W almost more than an O. Yes, I would agree with that. To triple confirm, I called up some film from when he was playing in Europe before he got drafted by the Nuggets in the NBA. Jokic is a three. Trojka Jokic. It sure sounds like the A-W sound. Nikola Jokic. But whatever you call him when you watch the finals, hopefully we can all just call him NBA champion by the end of this thing. (laughs) I think I'll stick with the Joker. That was my colleague Rachel Estabrook. The first game of the NBA championships between the Denver Nuggets and Miami Heat is tonight. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. This is Colorado Matters on listener-supported CPR News and KRCC.